other memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode two, Bosom Buddies, season one, from 1980 and 1981. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. Mike, very special occasion here on Tom Tom Club. This is the first episode of the four that we've done so far that we have a guest. And not only do we have a guest, we have two guests. We have two Bosom Buddies with us (laughs) to talk about (laughs) 19 episodes of glorious television. First up, I'll save the best for last. First up, host of the High School Summer Party Podcast, <laughs> we have Mr. Brian Rodriguez. Hello, Brian. Damn it. I thought Peter Scolari was going to be here. You got me excited. You said you had two awesome guests, and I thought you were going to reunite Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari. Oh, I wish. You might have been able to get it. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, I was like, I was like, why do I, do I know him? And I was like, oh, Hannah's dad on Girls. Of course I know him. So that's a thing. Yes, but thank you for having me on. Also with us, you may have heard her laughing. We have someone here to talk about the complicated gendered politics and gender dynamics of Bosom Buddies, co-host of the Contenders podcast, Miss Islan Eidington. Hello, Islan. Hello. Thank you for having me. Welcome. I would rather talk about short shorts and curly hair, but we could talk about gender politics if you want. The next episode of Hanks for the Memories, we are going to be talking about season two of Bosom Buddies, which is apparently where Tom Hanks meets Rita Wilson, his future wife, for the first time. Here, we're talking about the first 19 episodes of a show, which I was surprised how little drag there was. Mm. Why were you surprised? Because this is a show, ostensibly, about two men who dress like women, and yet for most of the episodes, they're just like hanging around the hotel in their own clothing, like as themselves. Because it wasn't supposed to be a show about drag. Right, yes. Yeah, and there's there's definitely a show without that aspect that probably could have worked as well, but yeah, the... The origins of this show, it just feels like classic like Hollywood, where like these guys go in to pitch a certain show, and they walk out of the room with a completely different show that they're now contractually like obligated to write. Absolutely. So that that's interesting. I mean, I feel like they made the best out of a tough situation, but these are the creators of Laverne and Shirley, um, and so they went into sort of pitch a like a male counterpart to Laverne and Shirley as a show, and the executives like had just seen some like it hot and mm-hmm. so that like became like a topic in the room and eventually that became the premise of the show and so i believe that's how we got here don't gloss over and say these executives this is essentially a miller boyette production these are some of the greatest sitcom factory people in mm-hmm. the world Truly, and you are, Brian, you are kind of the uh, the TV expert, the TV guru here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, I believe, right? At least the sitcom guru. I've spent a lot of time eating American culture's version of fast food, mm. the TV sitcom. What does that make reality TV, then? Oh, drugs. Hard okay. drugs. Great. I'm comfortable with that. I just, I just wanted to <laughs> follow along. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with the sitcom, like Nick at Night and all that kind of stuff, but I seriously have not watched any in a long time, like not since Seinfeld went off the air. So this was like anything with a laugh track, like it had been a long time since. So I guess the first question before we get into episode by episode, minute oh by God, minute no. breakdowns of all 19 episodes, we'll start with Mike because he is the co-host here. Mike, what did you think of Bosom Buddies? Had you seen any of the episodes before? You know, we had just watched He Knows You're Alone, where Tom Hanks played a kind of a pompous psych undergrad um, who's psychoanalyzing his friends in a slasher movie. But what did you think of Bosom Buddies? Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? Are you looking forward to season two? What's your TLDR of Bosom Buddies season one? Well, I think it's interesting. It's all right. It definitely is different than what I was expecting. 
here's what I really liked about the show, I guess. I, I liked the idea that they were essentially like madmen, like they worked at an ad agency. Yeah, with and, Amy as Peggy Olson. Yeah, and, and I loved their boss, Ruth. Like I thought that that character was great, and I felt like that was enough for the show. Like the cross-dressing stuff and all this thing, like I don't know, it wasn't... I mean, I, I'm glad they didn't go further with it like I feel like they only did as much as they were contractually obligated to do because that's just not what they were really interested in but because they had to do it I feel like it was as tasteful as possible for the time being you know they really could have pushed that a lot further and been a lot worse with it but I think like everybody involved is like really good like it's a watchable show the people on it are are funny there's good chemistry I think by the end of season one it felt like everybody was really working well together uh, so I guess in general those you know that's that's where I'm at right now and if you get to pick a favorite character who would it oh, be uh, it would be Ruth yeah I, I <laughs> love Ruth okay uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just something about her. She's the strong woman, their boss, and, like, it's never even really referred to in that way. Like, she's never, you know, being a man or a woman or whatever. They know she's just Ruth. Like, I thought that was cool about it. Uh, there's a really nice episode about her personal life they get into. So, like, everybody gets a little bit of depth to them throughout season one. So, yeah, I, I liked her the most. I mean, aside from Hanks, of course, that's why we're of here. Of course. But, well, that's know, why yeah. we're all here. All right, Aislinn, same question, TLDR. So a little behind-the-scenes magic. Aislinn is not returning for Season 2. Just like we get rid of Lily, unfortunately, for Season 2, uh, due to budget cuts, we are not able to afford <laughs> Aislinn Addington for the second episode of this Buzz <laughs> Buddies sequel. Uh, but Brian is coming back, so we will come to him next. But Aislinn, yeah. in this first season, what did you think of Buzz and Buddies? Who's your favorite character? Are you going to seek out Season 2, even though we're not covering it, even though you're not covering it with us? Sure. So... To start off with, I was aware of the show, and I, in some sort of after school or early morning, Saturday, whatever, whenever you get old older shows, I had seen pieces of it. We're a big, um, you know, musicals family, so, you know, the, the stage version of Some Like It's Hot is something I've seen live several times. And um, you all know my brother, yeah? Of course. Yeah, so he has a long history of performing um, in women's clothing. Don't know if you're... Oh, also, so yeah, that. so let me, let me tell a quick story that I might have even told on another podcast, but when I drove cross-country and stayed at your mother's home, <laughs> and I stayed, I think, in Tobin's room when he stays there, I don't know if that's the room he grew up in or not, I saw a picture of him, I think, in sixth grade, him dressed mm-hmm. as, for Halloween, as Cruella de Vil, which opened a whole new world in my eyes, in my mind, of Tobin, but yes. I'm actually going to make a slight correction on that. And that was for uh, Dress as Your Favorite Book Character Day. Oh. Not so even Halloween. Halloween. That was just a regular day of the year. Yep. Just a, just an average Tuesday. Wonderful. Um, in middle school. Poor kid. But it all turned out fine for him. Poor kid because of the bullying, not because of um, dressing up. Dress up as you will. So with kind of all those things, I also expected there to be more of them dressed as women in it because that's what I... Maybe that's just because of what I knew of it and what I remembered, and I remembered that being the joke of it. Wait, did you watch this when it was on TV or no? Not like, well, not in 1980 because I wasn't there, but in an after. I also don't know way, how old you are, so that might have been a weird <laughs> In a Saturday morning, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was ever. I, we didn't have Nickelodeon, so it wouldn't have been Nick at Night, but. Just real quick. So like after Splash came out and Tom Hanks became like this huge household name, uh, I think either Lorne Michaels or Saturday Night Live or someone bought the rights to the show and they showed it a lot. And so after he became a star, this was sort of always around. Um, so 
even if you didn't see it in this early run, it, was like, it seems like it was always on TV, at least for a while. Not anymore, but for a while it was on TV. So Yeah, so with that in, in mind that it was there was less of them dressed as women, I think it was both less fun than I thought it would be and less offensive. That being said, there are some real tough moments and scenarios in there that made me very uncomfortable. Sure. But I agree also uh, with Mike that they all work very well together. I mean, I think everyone is really good in it. I think they're better than the material often. I think that scenes that felt really forced to me, it was like, you know, Tom Hanks was was reaching for my hand through the screen like we're all going to get through this scene together. You know, I don't <laughs> I don't blame them any of them. I also, yeah, Ruth, I mean, Holland Taylor, amazing. Amazing. Um, she was a surprise. I didn't know she was in it. And the side characters um, are great, but um, the, yeah, the messages are a little hard to, hard to swallow, but I was drinking a lot of wine, so that kind of helped. Totally fine. Was, was Ruth also your favorite character, or did you have a different favorite character? It's difficult. I liked, I like to think about her. I mean, I've heard a rumor that everyone has a lot to say about Amy. There are parts of her that I absolutely love and then parts that make me very uncomfortable. So I don't I don't know that I have a standout. I do think it was a great ensemble. I'll, I'll answer again later after we talk, maybe. But right now, it's just the ensemble. I would give them a, an ensemble acting award before I would give them an individual. Very fair. Okay, Brian, same questions. Give us your TLDR of Bosom Buddy Season 1. What does TLDR mean? Too long, didn't read. So if somebody doesn't want to listen to our full two and a half hour episode of Bosom Buddies, what, what do you want people to walk away knowing? Oh, you keep joking about that, and I, I'm getting uncomfortable again. It's not really two and a half hours, is it? I mean, I don't know. We're four people. We're an ensemble cast here. We're four people who each watch ten hours of a sitcom. <laughs> we've, got, we've got a lot. To, we've got a lot to talk about. Me in two days. Two days. Wow. Okay. So you you were more of a last minute student than I was. Okay. Well. There were some episodes on illegally, I guess, and I was watching them, and then they took them off, and I had to prime the DVD, and it got here Wednesday, so that was yesterday. <laughs> so I'm, I'm dove right in. I have seen a lot of sitcoms. I'm a student of sitcoms. I love the format. Look, sitcoms are junk food. It is not good television. It's not good art, necessarily. But... I compare it to, like, you know, it's like professional wrestling versus the ballet. They're both performance art, you know? They just demand different things. This Bosom Buddies surprised me so much. I thought it was going to be crap. I thought it was going to be so much more problematic than it was. And it has a bad reputation. Does it? Oh, yeah. It has a reputation of just being, oh, Tom Hanks, and he's in drag, and that's the premise. Ha ha. You know? But what a cast. This is a powerful cast for the time. A lot of these people would go on to do amazing other sitcom work like Thelma Hopkins legend here I was very excited to see this is it one of the best sitcoms of all time absolutely not you could say I was pleasantly surprised very happy with the cast while sometimes it's problematic I think it tries to be a little bit more progressive than a lot of the sitcoms at the time seen through the lens today no but 1980 you know I'm pretty familiar with 1980 sitcom stuff and it's usually a lot worse than this and tom hanks just so amazing but you know we have two and a half hours to talk about this i don't want to spoil every point right now <laughs> listen i gotta edit this beast so like keep it short and concise <laughs> it's tough i mean I, I felt like the most connection i related a lot to amy as a writer i like 
what's his name? What's Peter Scolari's character? Henry. Henry, Henry yes. Or Hildy. I know Hildy. I could never remember Henry for some reason. Yeah, I had forgotten that he was a writer. <laughs> to be honest. Like, <laughs> episode 7, they re-include like, the extension of the opening sequence when they you know, explain why they got evicted and everything. And he's like, I'm a writer. This is going to be a great book. I was like, oh yeah, he's a writer. Well, you know, they make a sitcom with the pilot, and which looks completely different. I think it was shot on film, it looks like. Yep. Then they have the initial order, and that's really kissing the executive's ass. Every show in the initial order is completely different from what the rest of it's going to be. Once the initial order is up, and I, I'm assuming that's when they change that intro sequence, they start to try to do their own thing. And that's where you see more writing subplots and more artist subplots, because obviously that's what they originally wanted with this. There's the episode where Tom Hanks is like has a gallery, and I'm like, wait, is he a painter? He's like, oh wait, he is an artist. It just doesn't feel like consequential to the actual story of it all. You know what I mean? Like they're ad men, but like we don't actually see him like drawing. We just see him at work, and it's like a different kind of you know story or experience. But even today, like okay, there are not too many sitcoms today, and thank God it's dead unless someone revives it. But even today, I'm Parks and Recreation. It's not a laugh track sitcom, but you watch the first order of that show. And it's completely different than the rest of the show. Oh, well, like, Parks and Rec is one of my, like, five favorite shows of all time. And, like, the first, like, season and a half, I don't enjoy, like, at all. Like, it's not good. And then it becomes, like, they, they learn how to write the characters. And I feel like that's sort of kind of the case here. Like, they're like, okay, we have to do this thing where these two dudes get chased out of their apartment building when, like, it's being demolished while they're asleep. They have to dress as women at the Susan B. Anthony Hotel. Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to tell the story? And then I think by the end of the first season, clearly, and more toward the middle... Like, oh, we don't need them to be in drag. We can just have them, like, being friends with the women who live at the hotel. And, like, it could be the characters. Because, like, Buffy and Hildy are just, like, they're not fully fleshed out at all. Like, they're just kind of caricatures. But you have, like, Kip and Henry, who are, you know, the sort of the same guys, essentially. And there's more depth there. But at the same time, the longer that goes on, the more you have to wonder, which sort of gets like teased toward the end, especially when, you know, Kip wants to start going out with Sunny, and then apparently it's going to be like the first episode of season two. Like, how are these women going to react when they find out that these women, you know, Buffy and Hildy, that they've been confiding in, that they've been living with, are suddenly dudes who like ostensibly like want to get with them. And like it's a whole complicated interdynamic play there that like in real life I feel like is insurmountable, but in the sitcom world, maybe is not? I don't know. Of course. I mean, you know, it's, it's the sitcom world, like you said. And we'll save this for the season two chat, but I'm just going to go right off the bat and say, I get what they're going for, but you can't drop the drag thing entirely when this is what you sold people on initially, you know? So I, I, I'm going to assume in season two that becomes problematic. So spoilers a little bit, but according to the wiki, like in, se- in season two, episode one, the women they live with find out that they are the men and they just, they allow them to still live at the hotel, which to me is when the show essentially, I guess, jumps the shark yeah. in that it's no longer about two dudes masquerading as women to have a, a, a low rent apartment. But we digress. That is coming in two weeks here on Hanks for the Memories. <laughs> I didn't mention if I'd seen this before and I had not seen full episodes in its entirety for completely research purposes. I seen a lot of clips. Um, I first heard about it through more of the Billy Joel song as as a child, for some reason, I really liked Billy Joel. And my mother used to be like, oh, that's the theme to Bosom Buddies. And I'm like, what's Bosom Buddies? It's Tom Hanks' first show. And I was curious. Then then YouTube came out. And again, for pure research purposes, I've only seen clips. But happily, this is the first time I've ever seen episode to episode. I'm glad to comp- 
complete this in my collection, you know. Good. I'm gonna say my my favorite character is either Amy or Lily. If we're if we're excluding Hanks, because Hanks is the reason that like I enjoyed most of the show. Because I think, and I was, I was saying this to Island, you know, via text before you know a couple days ago, that I think it, you know, it's clear that everybody here has talent, but I feel like it's clear that like Hanks is like the breakout star of the show. Like just the audience reactions to when he comes on screen or tells a joke or just like the plots that he has or the scenes that he has. Like he is, you know, he's the comedic relief. He's the I guess I guess the handsome guy. I don't know. It's hard for me to tell like who's attractive of the 80s. Yeah, well, and with that, it, my first, in the first episode, when they were themselves in their office, I was very confused because it's so clear, particularly with poor little Peter, how much makeup he's wearing for just playing his part that I was like, wait, is he partway through? Like, oh no, this is just stage makeup that I can see because, I don't know, it was 1980. There's just a lot, a lot of face in this show. Sorry, I interrupted your Hanksing, but there's a lot of makeup, <laughs> even when they're men. It's a pretty poorly shot pilot. I mean, my big thing going from the pilot to episode two is like, oh, they have a brand new office, they have a brand new mm-hmm. apartment. Um, it looks different. Yeah, all new sets. Mm-hmm. A little polish. I mean, they retooled. That's what happens. And that's that's not unheard of. No, not at all. No, 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 not at all. But like when you're watching like six episodes in a row because you didn't start this until four days ago, it's it's jarring. Yeah, not meant for the binge watch generation. Even The Office had that though, a lot of switches and stuff. So, you know, it's only a thing, like continuity is only a thing I think in the last like five years. Yeah, like the only continuity in this show is that they have to dress in drag to live where they're living to afford where they're living, right? Like, you could watch any of these episodes on their own, and, you know, it's like the rerun era, right? Like, that's basically what sitcoms Mm -hmm. were sort of, like, designed as. You shouldn't have to watch everything to get what's going on. Just pick an episode here or there, you know? Like, an episode of this is a potato chip, an episode of, like, you know, Family Matters is a Dorito (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) Just pulling them out of the bag and watching them left and right. I mean, that's Uh, why the the scripts are called teleplays, right? It's just like a different play every week because even like the most you know what what should be the most consistent through lines in like who is attracted to who at any given moment it feels like the kip and buffy thing like kip from the beginning tom hanks is smitten by sunny 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 that he's smitten by sunny aka mrs dan Aykroyd, donna dixon but from the first episode he's head over heels in love with her yet the other way around, it seems like week to week, either like she's about to be in a relationship with him or they're dating or they're not. Like there's no consistency there. It just, it feels strange in retrospect, in hindsight. Yeah, that was highly irritating. And I, I think part of it is, like you say, it's wasn't made in a binging era. So if you hadn't seen all of them in four days or over the course of two weeks or whatever we all did, maybe it wouldn't have seemed that way. But I, by, you know, session, so I watched them all in like five sessions. So by session three, of my binging, I was like, oh my god, shit or get off the pot. This is not okay. Yep. But this is, this is again, true of almost every sitcom. I mean, you watch Friends the, in the pilot, Ross and Rachel are all about to date, and then it takes them two fucking years to date. Same thing with Cheers, Sam and Diane. Right, you have to build that tension. I just, I just don't think they were successful in building that tension. No, and that's part of 
probably the reason why it didn't last. I think part of it is because he was friends with her as another person, too. So it was kind of awkward. <laughs> you know, how can you ever really resolve that? And that's what they get into, I guess, we'll have to see in season two. But but that's the thing for me that became frustrating about the sitcom in general is just, you know, characters are stuck in these loops. Like, you're just stuck in a loop. Like, every time you gain some momentum, like, something happens to break them up. Like, even Ross and Rachel end up getting together and breaking up again. And, you know, they always retcon something or what something goes on. Uh, so, like, in that regard, you know, sometimes it gets a little frustrating when they try and have some continuity in it. I found it more enjoyable when there were episodes like Kip, you know, having his art installation. Like, when we were getting out of the office but not spending time at the Susan B so much. Like, you know, and seeing just everybody hanging out together other places. And they go see Bob Saget do stand-up <laughs> at one yes. point. And, you know, like, like, the show really attempts to be what it originally wanted to it seems like just like these guys that work at an ad agency yeah like a hangout comedy like a buddy like just like a Mm -hmm. we're hanging around like we're all friends with each other and like let's just get a what kind of wacky antics we get into yeah absolutely white guys in the city you couldn't just come back season two and unfortunately and like not have them keep dressing in drag right like you that's a whole different show you have to like rename it probably have to recast half of it you know they have to have like a real fallout with their friends and you have to admit just it's too heavy for a sitcom it becomes something it becomes maybe a soap opera or something else it's just not what they're going for uh top five dream jobs sitcom writer in 1980 would love to fix this. <laughs> would love to fix this. All right, so this week, yeah, Kip's old friend, who's like a rock star now, he oh comes God. into town, and everybody's in love with him, but Henry's upset. <laughs> Adrian Zemed, no less, who I was know. on chips at the time. Oh, yeah. So, you know, some cross-pollination, I guess. Let us go. I mean, we don't have to talk about each episode at length, but let us go episode by episode, because I do have notes for all 19 episodes. First up, Bosom Buddies, the pilot. Worth noting, a 94-second opening credits. Oh, my God. Uh, when, when so it, which shows in its entirety every week. I never skipped it. You never skipped it? I watched it every single time. I skipped it 17 of 19 times. I skipped it 18 of 19 times. I didn't skip When we first moved to New York, we had a great apartment that was dirt cheap. And we found out why it was so cheap. Our friend Amy said there was a great apartment in her building. Dirt cheap, but it's a hotel for women. Okay, we made one adjustment. Now these other ladies know us as Buffy and Hildegard. But they also know us as Kip and Henry, Buffy and Hildy's brothers. I am uh, crazy about the blonde. (laughs) This experience is going to make a great book. See, it's all perfectly normal. There's also a 30-second sort of outro that is sort of a rehash if you're watching the syndication or DVD version. Um, And then, you know, toward the end of the show, there's like a 110-second version of the opening credits where they like they reestablish the premise. So there's a lot of credits here. But this is where Kip and Henry dress up as Buffy and Hildy so they can live in an all-girl hotel. An all-women hotel. Their building gets demolished as Hanks loses his parakeet, which seems important never to become, never to come back again. And this is where we find out that Tom Hanks just wants to fall in love. You know, Kip wants to be in love. He never thinks he's going fi- to fall in love until he sees Sunny, 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 Sunny. So right off the bat, I'm going to make a crazy prediction that the series finale they died in the wrecking ball accident whoa (laughs) it's all a jacob's ladder scenario (laughs) yep so (laughs) that's that's what i was thinking right from the start like imagine that I, i the other thing that stood out to me in the first episode was amy 
and like the bravado with which she continues to very like openly go after Henry. Like I couldn't ever tell. And so that was like a kind of a tonal issue for me throughout it was, is this funny? Is this not like, and they do, I mean, they do interact with each other and their relationship changes and blah, blah, blah. But it was like, if that was happening in real life, would you not just take someone aside and be like, wow, we're at work right now. Can you not, I don't know, like hubba hubba me all day. It was because I loved Amy, but I was also very upset, like that they just kept putting her in trash bags. Oh yeah. No, was not a fan of that. I agree. Yeah. Like she's adorable. Don't moo her constantly. She was so cute. And I think was cute through that, but it was just, I didn't like her being, um, immediately put into like dumpy girl role because I she was clearly so much better than that but I was very uncomfortable with how much of her at the beginning was just trying to trying to get him I don't know what was she doing flirting question mark because the weird thing is that like it's kind of played as a joke for the first 18 episodes that like she's in love with Henry Henry doesn't see her because she's not rail thin or whatever and then finally in the final episode they kind of address it and that's where Tom Hanks and Amy get together they're like you live with some Right. You're going to help me. I live with Henry. I'm going to help you. But like up to that point, it's just like, a oh, this is a gag. No, but it got very serious in episode seven, Beauty and the Beasts. And then it was like, are they together? Yeah. Yeah, no, it did. In the next episode, they're not. We will get there in a little bit. Let's let's not jump ahead of things. Episode by episode. <laughs> well, but yeah, okay, but you can't blanket and say it was slapstick for 18 episodes. When you've made me watch all of this, I'm going to point out things. You signed up for it. Hey, I want you to remember, you signed up for it. You said... I did. I campaigned for it. And I quote roughly, don't you think my perspective on these would be wonderful or something like that? And I was like, sure, you can come on. I said, I <laughs> I don't think you can say no to the person with a PhD in sociology and a graduate certificate in women, gender, and sexuality studies. But if you want to be that guy, go ahead. I think that might have been what I said. <laughs> That feels closer to what you said than wonderful, but go ahead. That's fine. Yeah, the first episode is fine. Like, there's, they're probably more in drag in the first episode than they are in most other episodes, just because, like, that's the premise. Gotta sell that pilot. That's the thing, too. I think, yeah, I think everything is amplified to, you know, a certain degree. Like, even Amy and even, you know, Kip and Henry and, like, yeah, everything is just out of control in the first episode. (laughs) I mean, because you don't know if you're going to get picked up even, right? So you're just going to throw, like, everything at this and see what sticks. And, you know, as it goes along, everything calms down a little bit. But, yeah, they do have to keep certain threads alive. And, again, the the frustration of just, like, nothing ever being able to get resolved because it's just not the design of a sitcom per se yeah and you know you just want to keep it going it was weird well things don't get less weird in the second episode my brother my sister myself this is where uh, tom hanks is found kip is found to be in uh hildy's room after hours which seems like it should be under constant threat especially considering these guys don't lock their door ever but this is where there's like i guess rumors or gossip maybe that like they're in a relationship or something because why else would he be in her room then they all they both they both came from canada and all this different stuff or whatever but like what did you guys think of this one especially this is the episode where Henry falls in love with Dawn Stekovich who is basically portrayed as the office slut kind of like oh she'll go out with anybody and then Henry even says to her oh I hear you'll go out with anybody and she's like not when you talk to me like that so uh, very again questionable depictions that was rough yeah yeah like right out of the gates episode two I hope they were just trying to get this out of the way like this feels like this is just not 
not funny, you know, in in the first place. And just especially nowadays, it's hard to watch like someone calling her like a loose girl and a tramp and all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's just I'm not laughing. No. And the other thing about this episode is the guys as the girls' brothers. Right. But are they supposed to be twins? Did, did they ever? <laughs> no, they never addressed that. I don't think. I it was driving me crazy. <laughs> they never said that. Yeah, I mean, look, the worst thing is that you never see the brother with the sister, so the corresponding sister. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the, you know, the obvious thing, you know, like, oh, hold on, I'll go get her. She's around the corner. Oh, I'll go get him. Like, couldn't possibly last. But I was ready to forgive them that, except then they were always in the hotel at breakfast time. I feel like there's a lot more in the first part of them walking into the porta potties and changing clothes and behind the newsstand and all, all the different places that they um, figure out to change clothes. But when they started hanging out where their sister's in quotes, lived, but in their man clothes in the morning. Like, that's what I didn't buy. Not that we buy any of it. I understand it's junk food. But it was just sort of like, this cannot last. So when I read the synopsis for the first episode of season two, because I was curious, I was like, oh, okay, now they're all going to get it. And and I haven't seen any of it. So you all will have to tell me, I'll have to listen in to see. Because if the girls, the women know, but the house mother doesn't, like that could set up a, now they're all like Amy, they're all in on it and they're going to help them continue the ruse from the powers that be. Like that could be interesting. But if it's just we're dropping it and we should let men into our establishment, like, I don't know, I'm less interested in that. Yeah, there's like a new owner going to come in. Well, that's why I was surprised, because the show I compare this most to is Three's Company, which I thought it was going to be, you know, Three's Company I like, but it's the entire thing's like kind of a bad gay joke. I wouldn't even say kind of. I would say is. I'm trying to be nice. Yes, yes. No need. (laughs) And that's not the case here, but I don't know. It's easier to understand there because the only person who knows, well... I guess two sets of people. The only people who know in Three's Company are whoever happens to be the landlord in whatever season you're watching. So what you're saying makes a lot of sense if they went that way, but to just drop it entirely. And again, I know know we're getting into season two and we're not supposed to, but it's just boggling my mind. In this episode, we get a shout out to Blue Lagoon, Mike, which I was like, oh, kind of Cruise Club adjacent. We talked about Blue Lagoon uh, when we talked about Endless Love because Brooke Shields, Brooke Shields. So it's Cruise Club adjacent. And the last note I have for this episode is that Tom Hanks says, I'm not dirt. She thinks I'm not dirt. A girl could marry a guy who's not dirt. So even then, the briefest of glimpses into Sonny's heart is enough to sort of spur him on that like this beautiful woman could possibly, maybe, possibly one day be into him. Cool. Yeah, I, I think he plays that pretty well throughout the show like i mean well there's actually actually no well there's times where he gets like i was surprised how aggressive he starts to get but i mean it's kind of endearing at times to see hanks be this like love struck hanks i guess you know i'm not sure how often we're gonna see i think you know by the term the terminal is definitely love struck hanks <laughs> not to foreshadow too much but love in love with america for one thing but Catherine zeta jones as well but that was interesting to see him play that from time to time also i got a little there's a little bit of like insecure hanks and there's like arrogant Hanks. Like, there's all there's all flavors of Hanks in this first <laughs> season. Is. I like flip-out Hanks. That was my favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah. We gotta start charting that anytime there's a freak-out. Hanks freaks out. What do you call the sleep-deprived one? Ambient Hanks? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, was a, that was a good one. Yeah. I was gonna ask, when you finish all your Hanks films and you start doing Hanks rewatches, will the Hanks bingo have Hanks freak-out? 
on it. Is that not a thing you think you'll see? It depends. We're going to see. We're going to have to see. That's the thing, Brian. We're way early now. This is only episode two, so we're discovering along the way. That's just my hint for you guys to take notes. I mean, he freaks out as Woody, I can tell you that much. <laughs> You're right. But speaking of the 19 episodes we have in front of us. So loathe thy neighbor. After a quarrel with her roommate, Amy, Sunny moves in with Buffy and Hildy. And this is the episode where I was like, are they just changing in public twice a day? Like just randomly elsewhere across the street? Like, I guess so. I was baffled by the logistics of it all by episode three. Yeah. And that and three when, you know, there's someone lives with them that's where i started to get real itchy about the deceit of it all and and this woman feels comfortable because of the circumstances that she's led to believe are true and and really that's not the case at all and that really made me uncomfortable and then i also felt it was just purely unbelievable that two two men these two men in particular in 1980 with all their hair have a bathroom and they don't you know they didn't know she was going to come spend the night there's no way that there wasn't like man hair everywhere in that bathroom oh sure yeah or that it was just dirty in a way that would give them away immediately like that was my okay show's over sunny comes in and says clearly you're men you know because of all the nose hair yeah like even a blind guy figures it out at one point Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like by the end of the by the end of the first season, a blind guy upon first meeting them is like, "Oh, so you're dudes in women's clothing, right?" And it's like, how dumb does this one scene make all of the women on the show? It says, "Oh my god, that these I hate women you. who have been you know this is a fucking <laughs> sitcom, okay? Going episode by episode on a sitcom, junk food. All right, well, well, in this episode, Hanks and Sonny go on a date, and things don't go well. I'd liked how Hanks in this episode thanks the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> He will do that in reality at one point, so. I think it's worth pointing out at this point that, like, the first, like, half of the season, like, I didn't really laugh at. Like, I laughed a lot at this show, but I feel like the first half of this is, like, a show struggling to find its voice and figure out, like, what's funny? And maybe it's just dated or whatever, but, like, I really liked the handful of stuff in the back half. But this first half, I'm just like, this is going to be a long 10 hours. Yeah. And and sometimes it really did feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. No argument here either. I mean, just by being a sitcom for me, but, uh, you know, there were things throughout that I found fun, funny little like things, never, never like main parts of it. But like, uh, like in episode, I mean, can I jump to episode four? Macho Man, where tired of being seen by women as a sensitive guy, Henry, or in this episode called Hank, tries to prove that he can be tough and manly. So one part of this episode that I found amusing was the company that they were trying to write an ad for was like this horrible cookie company kind of thing. And like, it's like little things like those in the episodes, like I found like the side jokes or something or like, you know, never, never really, it's rarely ever to do with like the main through line where I was like giggling or or finding things amusing. But this episode, I I don't know. I feel like this was one of the better early episodes, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. I didn't laugh very much, but there's a lot of this that doesn't move into a more contemporary time and is still worth conversation. I mean, not obviously it's all worth conversation because we're talking about it and people love it. But you know what I mean? Like the, the issue that Thank is, you. <laughs> that is an issue that we are still struggling with, right? I mean, just the Gillette bullshit this week is a perfect example. But so this idea of perception of masculinity and who are you performing that for? Is it for, you know, uh, people that you are uh, attracted to? Is it for other men? And that could, those groups could overlap, of course, but who are we doing this for? And what are the ramifications of all these performances that we're putting out there? That's worth doing a show about. I'm not saying they handled it 
perfectly. And, and frankly, because we just watched 19 episodes, I, I don't remember scene by scene how they did it. But I feel like it's a very worthwhile conversation. And I'm a little bit proud of them for having it in 1980. I also like this episode because they, they go to a country and or Western bar and Tom Hanks kind of dresses like Woody. And I was like, oh, look at that. <laughs> Joey, that's, that's two movies in a row in his screen debut he was wearing the neckerchief and sort of that suede jacket so he's always been woody you conspiracy destiny next episode what price getty kip and henry must let go of their moral scruples to get a big advertising account for their agency this is the stump the dock where they have dr bob uh who is the worst they've got a real brown noser in the office who never comes back we've never seen before never comes back this is fine there's not a lot that happens in this episode the last episode did it a little bit but then this was i think also if i'm thinking about the parts that bothered me so you know in the episode where sunny stays over i was really bothered by that the dynamics of that and so i feel like they spend a couple episodes trying to make us believe or understand or what have you that these really are good guys right the yes they are deceiving the, these all these women but like they're good guys so it's okay to laugh at them and be on their side and that's the whole bill of goods that were sold right like they're they're good guys so things are fine so it's okay yeah you can trust them to not cross a line if they're presented with it to do the right thing and i think this was the first episode I've, i wrote down no cross-dressing scene like i don't I don't think that they actually spent time in addressing this episode. No, yeah. And like, it's, it's amazing how quickly into the show they're just like, oh, we don't have to do this. Yeah. This is also when I realized that Amy, uh, Wendy Jo Sperber, I believe is how you pronounce yep. mm-hmm. her name. She, she plays Marty McFly's sister. Yeah. And I jumped up in my room halfway through this episode and screamed at, at my television and also, to no one else. Not to bring it down, but died of breast cancer in the 90s. So, so, so wonderful in the show. Great in this show. Next episode, Kip and Sonny's date. Kip goes on his first date with Sonny, while Henry dates Ruth's punkish niece. Oh my gosh, this was terrible. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I wrote down that like this is the first time where I was just like, oh, I love Hanks here. Like Hanks being so love struck, like overly dumbly so. But him just like this is where I think we're like suddenly, 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 like where that really starts because he does. He's just so gaga for her that he's wordless around her. Yeah, this whole, okay, so, so many things. So Ruth asks Henry to go on a blind date with his niece, and he feels obligated because she's the boss or whatever. And then it turns out she's cool punk kid and doesn't want to be there. Like, that's the other thing. Like, who sets people up that don't want to be set up? Is that something of a long lost era? that like you know because neither of them wanted to go so why is i don't i don't believe the niece said hey aunt ruth do you have anyone i could go out with like i just didn't understand the point and then there was the whole well you didn't you didn't tell me like telling someone that their date is gonna have purple hair and wear the leather jacket is important i don't know what what i liked was the turn where henry really liked her and they ended up having fun but the whole premise and explanation of it was just not satisfying how about that Brian, you've been quiet for a while. You got any thoughts? I like the episode. <laughs> I thought it was good. Honestly, I had this on in the background. I didn't take much notes because that's not how I watch sitcoms. I did like, in the end, how they got together. Or, like, they were happy with each other. I like the swerve that she ended up being a punk person because that really shows me time. And a lot of the reason why I like watching these sitcoms is seeing the time, you know? Seeing the datedness. Yeah. So I appreciated that. 
My Five Dads. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Punk for life. Somewhere deep down. Uh, this was just, yeah, this was the first time where I was like, oh, we're getting one of those kind of cookie cutter episodes where you see this in like every sitcom where someone is set up on a blind date mm-hmm. and uh, the person shows up like shocking. It's like whatever is considered weird of the times, like whatever's new and weird. Like I figured if this if this was done something like nowadays, like the person would show up and maybe like look like they just got back from Burning Man or something, you know? <laughs> Like, I don't know, but, like, maybe because punk was kind of fresh back then, so, like, hey, let's use it as, like, you know, like an other, like, like a stereotype, like something that is considered, like, strange and unusual at the time and everything, and it'll be funny and stuff, but so maybe it hasn't, like, necessarily aged well, um, like most of this, like a lot of TV, like most media, but, yeah, I, that's the, that was my observation about it, basically. This is also the episode where I guess they're playing, like, Truth or Truth, and uh, mm-hmm. Kip finds out that his date with Buffy did not go well, that Buffy was not thrilled, and he disappears for a day and a half. With Sonny, but as Buffy, he was asking that, yeah. Yeah, what do I, keep, I keep saying Buffy. I don't know why his day with Sonny did not go well, and he gets devastated and goes away and drinks for a day and a half and comes back and she's like, I've been drunk. Anytime he's trying to get information from Sonny or from the other girls about Sonny, other women, you know, when, whenever Buffy is being conniving, that I find really unpleasant. To me, it just seems like Kip doesn't have the strength to talk to Sonny himself. And so he uses Buffy to do it. Oh, he definitely doesn't until like the very end. I mean, it's not even great the first time, but... I mean, it's, like, it's, a, it's a violation, right? Yes, and as an ongoing violation, it's just was not fun to watch. Right. I think the show does an interesting thing down the road where Kip and Henry are role-playing. Like, Kip is like, I'm going to tell Sonny that I've been Buffy. And Henry's like, cool, let's see how that goes. And then he basically says to him, like, Henry says to Kip, as... Sonny, you violated my trust. How can I ever trust you? And like, it's like, oh yeah, like that's exactly the point that we're all thinking. And then it still kind of works, but I guess we also haven't seen her know that Kip and Buffy are the same person. That'll come in season two. <laughs> yeah, look, it's set up on a premise that it's the reason why the show ends up getting canceled, I'm assuming. There's no way to work it in where everyone's going to be like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, it, it's a gag. It's a, a gimmick. The show is picked up completely because it was a gimmick. So it's like, how long can we ride this out for? It's a poison pill, you know? I mean, from what I read, they wanted to make a show about these buddies, you know? <laughs> Maybe it was just going to be called Buddies. I don't know. <laughs> and then, you know, they couldn't do it, so they had to shoehorn this thing in and then tried to shoehorn it out, and it didn't work. <laughs> I mean, some of the most touching moments to me are... I mean, first of all, I don't know if we've said this yet, but they have great chemistry. They do. Hanks and Scolari definitely do. And I know towards the end, and maybe that's why I'm sensing that a lot of people like the second half better, I know towards the second half they were letting them improv a lot more. And I know I know a lot of the lines are improv, which I, I couldn't say which specific ones, but that's, that's cool, and I think that's what they wanted to do. I think they found these two actors and like, oh my god, they're going to play off so well with each other. Let's put a talented cast around them. And again, it's a talented cast. I mean, I don't know if we've talked about Telma Hopkins yet. We'll talk about her more, I think, in the episode where she's featured. I don't remember what number that is, but where she's singing and stuff. Yeah, we're getting there. The next episode is one that we've talked about already, Beauty and the Beasts. A little bit, yes. But I would, but, oh, but it starts with full-on sexual harassment as they're doing a, a cattle call for a commercial of some kind and a really talented woman does it and like, no, it's no problem. And then someone comes in as like a babe, terrible actor, and they're all up in her business and Ruth just kind of lets it happen 
Not that it's her responsibility not to, but she's the boss in the room. You know what I mean? To say, no, we're not going to hire this person. They were terrible. I don't know. It was just gross. Right. I feel like I feel like the Ruth and Kip and Henry dynamic is weird from start to finish, and they only selectively comment on it. Mm. Like most of the time, like they just sort of like let things run amok. But I feel like there's like this there's a potential for something interesting there in that they they sort of touch on it later, where like Ruth is lonely, right. um, that she you know she obviously has like dudes that she bangs, but she's missing friends, and I feel like it's kind of it's her way of like being like one of the guys, kind of to let them sort of do their thing. I don't want to put that on her. I don't. I don't know. But I think what's I think what's weird maybe, and maybe again it's just a sitcom, and that this is not necessarily what they were going for. But we don't really know the hierarchy of the office, like. Ruth has a boss, and then there's Ruth, and then, like, next to the totem pole, is it Kip and Henry, or is it that guy who was kissing ass, or are there other people? Like, it feels like, because we know them, they're kind of next to command, but maybe they're not? I don't know. No, I think it's made pretty clear that they're that one of the younger art and writing duos on the staff, and there's other ones on the staff, but it's just, again, a sitcom, so we don't see people unless it's convenient for us to see people. Yeah, like, I don't know if everyone's seen Mad Men, but, uh, you know, I would assume, like, they're the guys in Mad Men you check in on, like, maybe once every two or three episodes, but they've got here, they've got, like, their whole, the show is about them, the lowest, not the lowest, but, like, you know, just these people in the corner of a much bigger office going on. They happen to have the desk in front of Ruth's office, you know. Yeah, like, Ruth is more of, like, the Don Draper, and, like, she's got lots of other things going on that she's taking care of. And they're reporting to her. Yeah, yeah. I was actually surprised how much more she was in the show, because I initially liked her because she just came in and out of the show so much. Like, she was sort of there in the beginning to to set up a joke, and then at the end to sort of pull off the punchline or something, and then after a while she just was weaved into more of the show. You know how these things work, though. They're they're feeling out the cast. I think they just realize that she's such a good actor that let's try to see where we can go storyline-wise with her. They give them that one episode where they hang out with... with, um with Kip and Henry and I think that the show realizes yeah like this wasn't a great idea right like let's not do this again (laughs) but they tried it because it could it could have been great who knows yeah classic sitcom and sometimes it leads to the downfall is hey we have this ensemble let's get every character to spend at least one episode with every other character and work every combination to the point where in some sitcoms it's like why is the mom's best friend hanging out with the son's gym teacher you know like they just throw random stuff in this is like an early experiment in that and yeah i mean it is what it is but this is the episode where uh henry realizes oh women don't have to be beautiful for me to be in love with them and this is why he goes on a date with amy and that's not great which starts out really awkward but then he gets so sincere in it like again the the tone of it like tonally i found it very very strange because then suddenly like he has this revelation while he's sitting across from her and this other woman is hitting on him and then he's like oh no you're amazing let's have a moment together and then the episode ends well first then ruth comes in to get hers and then the episode ends (laughs) because like so sally shows up and sally's like this hot this hot woman who's like into henry and henry's like no thanks i'm here with amy and then they like have like a slow dance to essentially end the episode yeah they have a moment my last note was like wait are they together now which no they are not right no because the next episode she's dating the congressman's aide and 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 then he's dumps her for someone at a at a costume party and then they they pull off their elaborate sting as my notes say which the, okay the part of that i really liked was 
the hijinks of it. That, I think, worked when they were all helping each other out. And, like, the content of it, I did not like at all. You know, uh, Kip pretending to abuse Sonny and all like Like, that's not, that's not great at all, obviously. But the band of misfits working together is is always something that that I'll enjoy and that's kind of what made me wonder if season 2 was going to incorporate that idea where it was the other women helping them to pull off their subterfuge. Yeah, because like episodes like Revenge, the the next I think it's like the eighth one or whatever where they all pull that like band of misfits thing to to get back at the guy who was mean to Amy. Like that's one of the best episodes like where they all like get together and like have this elaborate ruse and like the men are in on it and everything and like it just feels like it's when the show realizes that like it could be an ensemble show. That instead of just being about these two guys, it's about the six or seven of them and like it sort of transcends to like another level. It's fun to watch them all play with each other. No pun intended. There wasn't a pun there. Just, what's the next episode, Joe? <laughs> Keep it going. Amy's career. Amy gets her big break when she's put in charge of a major advertising campaign. This is her Peggy Olsen episode, but she does not do well because she's trying to market disgusting mouthwash, and the people she brings in cannot sell a lie, so... Lizard spit. <laughs> but they, they get Ruth drunk and convince her to keep Amy around so she can make Amy's life a living hell, so that's fun. I, th- I thought that was interesting because I didn't really feel like that was something that was happening, you know? Did you feel like Ruth was already making Amy's life a living hell? No. And it's also clear, like, later in the show, when, like, Amy, in the Adrian Zemed episode, where Amy not being in the office, like, everything falls apart. Like, it's clear everyone needs Amy. Like, you can't be mean to Amy, because, like, Amy's the cog that keeps the machine turning. And so... I feel like she's just, she's valued. I don't know. I started crushing on Amy so much, like, towards the end of this uh, binge, my two-day binge. I'm Team Amy. Just consider me Team Amy. Yeah, me too. No, absolutely. I don't don't think anybody disagrees. This was, like, the episode where she kind of gets promoted, right? Like, that, like, Ruth gives her a shot. Doesn't Amy make, like, some kind of joke and Ruth is like, hey, wait, or, like, they're like, we could use that. I don't know. I feel like this was the episode where Ruth was like, hey, show us what you got. Yeah, because on, on her way out of the room, she's something like, you know, when you have this aftershave on or whatever, like, you're a guy I want to be around. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, maybe she was just being harder on her because she was like, hey, this is the next level of being at work. Like, this is, you know, you have more responsibility, like, more deadlines, more this, more that. She does have a lot to do, like, in her job before that, but, like, this is just a whole different, like, thing to navigate and stuff. So, you know, I guess I don't like how it turns out she's not cut out for that and goes back to her old job and can't, like, excel in the company, per se, throughout the run of the show. I don't think she's not cut out for it. Well, she ends up, like, blowing her big chance is sort of what it turns out to be right on the episode and she goes back to her old job and that's fine the whole thing i was getting at was i i like the the premise of the episode where it was like hey yeah like you know you gotta you got a shot let's see what you got i think it's another like sitcom thing here i don't know what happens in season two but if you're thinking of like let's run this show five years one of the major plot points is going to be like amy's big promotion and you have to like tease it in earlier seasons that's the problem when things don't last and you don't get the complete story and i think that's what they're doing here they're like planting the seeds of like how important she's going to be season three or season four in this creative process for them i imagine in my head that the series ends with her running the entire firm but again this is just me pretending i'm the 1980s sitcom writer again we got to bring it back with netflix nah just kidding (laughs) yeah that'll never happen well they did bring it i mean they did reboot it and it was terrible 
They did? Yeah, in like 2012, I want to say. And I I didn't see it. Um, I just read about it. I want to say it was billed as like an affirmative action kind of thing. Like they were really good, but they wouldn't be hired because they were white men. So they dressed as women to get the jobs. And it just tanked. Oh, geez. People were offended on all the levels, as they should be. I'm kind of glad that's forgotten. I think maybe two episodes aired and that was it. I mean, it's, it was just ter- terrible, terrible. The next episode, Gotta Dance. This is the one where Kip casts Sonny in a singing and dancing commercial for the public library, which is enough of a boost that, like, changes her from, like, wanting to move back home to being like, oh, my God, let me buy you engraved cufflinks. <laughs> I love Sonny. Sonny is beautiful. Sonny is a great character, I think, for what she is. This was a bit of a stretch. I mean, it was just more of, if you like a girl, hire her, you know? That'll make her love you. Yeah, I, I mean, that's I, I like that it was about Hank's getting off of the drafting table and behind the camera and stuff, but I wish he was just doing it to help out a friend and not to, like, you know, to have any ulterior motive to it or anything like that. Not that I forget, because it's in the opening, I've got a thing for the blonde. Like, yeah, if that just wasn't in there, I thought it would have been, like, a really sweet episode. If Maybe if Henry was the director, you know, because we know that he doesn't have any, like, romantic interest in Sonny, so, like, then it would have just truly been, you know, here's a job, you know, help you out. I love that Hanks dances in this one. He does his little choreographed dance. Oh, yeah. I know for a fact he'll he'll be dancing on some luggage in Joe vs. Volcano. <laughs> yeah. he, he's quite often a dancer, isn't he? That should be on your bingo board. I does think, he dance? I think he moves, yeah. Big, I think he kind of dances. Philadelphia. Ruth saves a day at the end here where she's like, we fired you because we're going to give you a national commercial. And so he's like, oh my God, thank you so much. But also, later in the show, it seems like she's having like a great life as a nurse, so I don't know. Sonny's a weird character. Yes, interesting character in that kind of way. Yeah, I feel like they don't they don't quite know what to do with her. I am glad they try to let her stretch and be um, more dimensional than the blonde that Kip has a crush on. But yeah, I don't think they they found it. Maybe in season three. Oh wait. Oh wait. Womp womp. Next episode: Sunny Boy, Buffy, and Hildy are shown on TV after foiling a robbery, and Henry's mom recognizes Hildy as her son. <laughs> This was a pretty interesting one. You know, this is one of the episodes that feels kind of like a very special episode, where it's like, let people embrace, like, their son for making alternative choices. And, like, instead of, like, wanting to live his life as a woman, like, living his life as a woman to, like, save rent money, like, it's totally okay. It's 1980. Things are fine. Just to start, though, I hate, and this is going to sound so weird, but I hate this stereotype that men are just stronger than women, like, physically, because Peter Scalaire did not look like he could kick ass. You know. Well, neither does Hanks, quite frankly. I never took him for a burly guy, though. Well, Hanks is like a wiry strong... Hanks is super strong. And, and it's just like, oh, they come in and save the day. And I don't know if they're that much stronger than everyone else in there, you know? And I don't know, because I don't think I could beat those guys up. I agree. Anytime there's essentialist arguments, I'm not, I'm not here for that. What was interesting, I thought, was because of those stereotypes and those expectations, they were caught for a minute trying to figure out what their role was like oh we you know we can solve this problem we are men oh but wait we're not right now you know so that you know it wasn't you know in this moment it's a stupid sitcom whatever but like watching them do that math about expectations and their performance was you know 
kind of interesting. But yeah, the the actual fight was fairly silly. And I did think they, they should have given Amy more credit for her, what she did, which was call the police, like, which is what you should do. <laughs> I like, though, that it's, it's around this episode that we're starting to see them kind of enjoy the art of being Buffy and Hildy. They, they seem like they're into it. It doesn't seem like a burden to them. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly benefits, right? They have this kind of new group of friends that they didn't have before, other than Amy. Kip can violate the trust of Sunny to find out more about her, and they have a, a great place to have breakfast. I mean, there's <laughs> like all this. There's a whole community that they have because of their disguises that um, I guess we didn't know them before then, but I get the feeling that they, they didn't have right at that moment because we don't ever see them with male friends. True. It's a good right? point. I mean, except for Adrian's med later. Which becomes like a major rift, yeah. I agree. They find themselves in community that maybe they weren't expecting when they started it as a way to save money for on rent and write a book. Also, like, I'm a big fan of, like, drag performance and burlesque performance and the, the whole DIY aspect of it. Sorry if I'm, like, nerding out a little bit on this kind of stuff. But I like how they're also enjoying the characters more than mm-hmm. later in the season, which, again, again, it gets dropped next season, so I guess it doesn't matter. But I was happy seeing that. I thought, like, the second half of the episode was kind of interesting, where, like, uh, Henry's mom ambushes him with the shrink at the diner and by the end of the scene Henry and his mom like are closer together and they're like against whatever the shrink is trying to sell them and (laughs) Henry is sort of like you know maybe his explanation and what he's up to isn't the greatest okay but like he he has explained himself and his mom has accepted him and they like have reconnected so I don't know I found that to be a very like interesting dance going on there in that episode did you think that it happened too quickly because I did yeah they only had like 10 minutes to deal with it so they had to race through it but yeah that's just that's being a sitcom the next episode is one I mentioned before how great thou art Henry arranges for Kip to have an exhibition of his paintings but the critics don't like them what do you guys think of his paintings I love that one where he's like I just wipe my brushes on that one I thought that was great (laughs) that was my favorite one that was my favorite one, yeah. You know, and some of them are okay. <laughs> better, better than others. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I definitely might buy it before just like a red dot on a white background or something. I, I, I like the concept of the guy hanging himself on the wall. I thought that was really funny that they had a pretty fun jab at art. In spite of his dig at New Jersey? Yeah, right. Yeah, well, you know. Mm. You find laughs where you can get them. Easy sitcom material. I was going to say, I feel like this episode sort of exists to, like, make fun of critics. Mm. And flesh out Kip a little bit, I think, too. And him and Henry's relationship a little. Like, there's a thing where, you know, Henry thinks it's a nice gift to do this installation surprise for Kip. And Kip is very self-conscious about his work. And is this also the one where he reads Henry's book and he's like, you know what, Henry? You're actually a damn good writer. He's like, shit. (laughs) Way to go. So there were some interesting friendship things going on in there, too. I also get... Mike, to piggyback on one of your points, I also guarantee that if you took every sitcom from 1970 to 1990, that 90% of them would have an episode that mocks modern art and or critics of art. That's like, that's in the box of gimmicks for sure. How many of those episodes, though, Brian, have Tom Hanks in gravity boots hanging upside down? I would say only one. <laughs> only one. Not enough. Not enough. <laughs> Hanks says Batman. Are you guys doing his guest starring stuff or no? Uh, I think we're going to do that at a clip show at the end. We're, we're not doing those now. We're going to do those toward the end. Gotcha, gotcha. Because he had some classic sitcom moments in some other places. Next episode, Kip Q. 
quits, Kip quits his job rather than change a campaign to please a client. Bruce Valanche has a bit part in this episode. This is Mr. Happy Bus. Kip does not like the change. Feels like for an ad agency that's seemingly as successful as they are, they have the worst clients over and over and over again. Maybe it's just these, like you were saying before, that these two seem on the you know younger side. Maybe this is them working through kind of the crap to get to the place where they can pitch better clients. Maybe they're just getting the bottom of the barrel. But it feels like Ruth is involved in all these clients too. You know what I mean? That's true. But yeah, you know, she's the manager. Yeah, there there are three partners. I don't remember their names. I don't know if Ruth's name is one of the names on like the partnership. But if you see on the wall, there are like three names, and presuming she's one of them, maybe she has certain people who work under her and she just maybe she just gets all the crap clients or something and yeah the agency is livingston gentry or gentry and michigan i think she's gentry right ruth gentry ruth gentry i think that sounds right (laughs) yeah so she's one of the three this client i mean it's the transit authority it's not like nobody you know Mm -hmm. it's not like before like the toxic cookie company or something like this is like a wouldn't it be like a government contract or something like it seems pretty heavy for these so like maybe it's one of the times they're really being like put to the test so it's like yeah you really got to please this client even if his idea sucks and it's not like the worst idea that the guy has he just has no tact in dealing with creative types at all and kip has no experience dealing with like the business end so like there's a classic clash of personalities there right and as has been illustrated over and over kip is very sensitive yeah you know i mean fragile male egos yeah well, just fragile egos, but sure, fragile male egos. This is also an episode where I was like, oh, it feels like, and maybe this is just, it's a sitcom and it doesn't matter, but I feel like people's ages don't really track. Like at one point, Buffy, as Buffy, says she's like 19. I was like, oh, <laughs> Oh, that I okay. thought was a really? joke. Yeah, because yeah. she says 19 and then she says Hildy's 28. I thought that was an I'm the cute young one. But still, I mean, I don't know, maybe. I know. I just thought it was a dumb joke. No, that's that's definitely a joke. I don't think that was supposed to be 19. But in this episode, Lily is doing her slideshow for Disney World uh, photos, right? And Sunny is looking at them and she's like, I know him. He was my first steady boyfriend. That must be his wife and kids. And she's 23, which means like if her first steady boyfriend was presumably her age, he then got married and had kids old enough to be like in just oh i yeah. thought she was saying that because it was an excuse to get out of seeing more slides she's like oh. i can't watch another one of these slides because it makes me think of him i have to leave the room am i just misreading sitcom jokes yeah because then she's like you better sit your ass back down here yeah joey i think you're like missing some of this stuff <laughs> oh boy but i also think that kind of age stuff happens all the time you know that it's written if you think about it it doesn't make any sense yeah so i tend to ignore stuff like that okay but let's say she was telling the truth walk me through it so she says that that was her old boyfriend and that those are how long ago was this trip to disney i would imagine the trip just happened so, so the trip just happened and let's say the guy was a year older 24 okay 24 i don't think it's that weird at that time for him to have kids and be married like my mother had me at 20 so it's not all right blowing my mind it's not you know yes of all the things that are gonna blow my mind in this show that's not one yeah that was my breaking point that's where i was like <laughs> i don't i don't follow the logic of this show at all uh, this is also an episode mike where tom hanks sells hot dogs the official food of the cage club podcast network 
Gross. Yes, made me think of Keanu. And Cage and everybody, really. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I, I couldn't believe Bruce Valanche. He was like the only customer keeping Hanks, you know, in business there. But that was a very strange sequence because we got on like a city street for a while and it just didn't feel like the rest of the show to me because it was like shot outside on the lot, you know, as opposed to like inside on a set or something. There was a little bit, something was a little bit off about that. Although I did really, really, really love the flipping of hot dogs and buns. Like that was mm-hmm. So, like, I could have watched that for a long time. Like, genuinely, I loved their hot dog chemistry. You know, Hanks eats hot dogs in a lot of other films, now that I think about it. At least two others I could think of. Wow. Certainly you've got mail, because I go to that hot dog place once a week, so that's why I know. So, yeah, another thing to track. <laughs> I did not sign up for a hot dog podcast. <laughs> no, but the hot dog podcast recruited you. I guess so. <laughs> when he comes in the next day, like, kind of acts like he didn't quit or, like, was joking, right? Like, that always reminds me of the famous Larry David story where he vehemently quit SNL on, like, a Friday and then showed up Monday and, like, just proclaimed that it was all like a big gag like a joke like like, oh you thought that was serious so that later got recycled as a george costanza plot for seinfeld on an episode (laughs) that's the best way to come back from a flip out and the woman they hired looked a lot kind of like hanks like she had sort of the small curly hair was like a little tall i was like oh they hired girl hanks Next episode, Only the Lonely, Ruth invites Kip and Henry over to her apartment for an awkward evening of games and Calypso music, which is, this is all the blurring of the, you know, boss-employee lines. This is a very strange episode. Although, the, the most maybe problematic is, like, all the women giving Buffy and Hildy shit for, like, coming back to the apartment at 7 a.m. Like, <laughs> instead of just, like, letting them have their walk of shame, which they're coming back from work, by the way, they're like, oh my god, like, you guys are out getting banged, really. Like, it's it was very aggressive. It was very aggressive. This was also the one when I'm thinking that everyone is good in this show, but the material is not. Both of the scenes in Ruth's apartment, like, the first one that is you know, meant to be awkward is difficult. And then when they come back to, you know, make it up to her because they've hurt her feelings. But again, like, as much as I don't want anyone's feelings to be hurt, she also just didn't say, hey, can let's hang out. Like, she presented it in such a strange way that I would have run away also. In any case, when they come back and they've brought beer and pizza and whatever, I mean, Hanks was just doing everything he could to make that scene work and to make them be charming and that because it was... I felt it was so strained. I felt every second of those scenes, they were not good. Except for when the guy comes out of her bedroom. That was hilarious. Raul, a different kind of friend. Yes, Raul's a different kind of friend. I felt that it was weird, too, because the first time they were playing it, like, more for real, like, not... And then the second time, it was, like, the makeup scene where they were trying to make up to Ruth for for not hanging out. And it was also being played for sort of not laughs and awkward realness. But then it it ended with a punchline with, oh, no, Ruth was just being awkward because she was hiding a man. And so I was a little confused as well. I was like, what is... What tone are they actually trying to land on here? Yeah, this one didn't work for me at all and it was when I thought oh goodness how many more episodes do we have and this is like what you were saying Brian whereas like shows just try and mix and match and shuffle the characters 
Mars around and I guess and see who knows if we can get magic like the way you know Carl and Urkel end up <laughs> becoming family matters I guess yeah like they had to try yeah and it's it's funny because I, I like sitcoms because of this sitcoms are the kind of things that can have a shitty episode but you have to come back the next week and try to survive it, it's a weird art like that I mean a lot of TV shows today like block out like six seasons before they even get picked up sitcoms were not like that it's just like okay what do we do next week or what do we do the week after they have a rough idea but it's like okay that clearly you know i mean and obviously they shoot a couple at a time but it's just it's always fascinated me having to pick up the material you have and create something new the next week well there's also a bunch of kittens in this episode Next episode is my favorite of the first season, The Rewrite, where Kip and Henry are in their apartment, sort of reliving and trying to rewrite, for some reason, uh, the story of how they were almost found out. Well, for his book. I guess. Okay. For some reason. Yes, he's a writer, Joey. That's why. Yeah. That's how Kip gets him the living there. Is like, this will be great. You can write a book about it, because he's reluctant. And Kip wants to live there, because it's sunny. And so, yeah, so he's writing his, I don't know, memoir, expose, whatever, <laughs> noir, slaps sex comedy. <laughs> yeah, that's what struck me weird. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying he has to stick in a genre, obviously, but I don't, he doesn't know where he's going with his writing. I thought that was why it was funny, and I'm putting that in quotes. <laughs> each time they replayed it, it was a different style. I genuinely love this. <laughs> but, like, what style was the rest of his book already written in? <laughs> I, I don't think it matters. Is this like a George R. R. Martin type of situation where every chapter is a different type of literary style? Where like chapter one's a noir, chapter two's written like a comedy, and like. <laughs> but no, but I love this because this is like so in a show that's as weird ostensibly as the show is, the show never really gets weird. You know what I mean? Like it sort of it keeps things kind of grounded. Where like your your premise is absurd. But you don't get absurd. And here, to have such, like, wildly different takes and looks and feels and ways of shooting, it's just, it's it's great. I love it. You know what it feels like, Joey, to me? It feels almost like their theme episode, in a way, kind of. Yeah. Where it's like, we're going to do one outside of the box a little bit. Maybe something that doesn't connect entirely to everything else. And once it's over, we're not going to really reference it or mention it ever again. But we're going to try and do something, like, a little different than, than we're going to with every other episode. I think that, yeah, I think people put things you know on on the chalkboard at the beginning of the season and they say let's try this and then it's something that like gets tabled to later and later because how weird it is and then it just happens you know and i thought it was okay i wasn't the biggest fan of this episode oh brian 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 i loved it yeah i'm a little surprised too brian for being like mr into sitcoms don't you like like you know have you are you into like news radio like that does great like once a season they do like a theme episode that is just like out of control like nothing to do with like they really break reality like for an episode and stuff and like i thought this was great like the way that it retold the same story and all the different types of styles and kept getting more and more out of control i didn't hate it and my favorite part of it was how they let hanks and scolari play with each other and, and all the other again great cast and they let them do all that when i say i like i'm not the biggest fan that doesn't mean that's not like my shady way of saying i don't like it i'll give it a b you know, it's not an A. Like, what I love about this is there's the moment where, like, they're in the slapstick version of it, right? And Amy comes in with two pies. Isabel comes in, or somebody comes in with the seltzer water, and they both have the pies, and they cut. They go back to the, the, their apartment. They're like, we can't do anything with the pies. And Hanks is like, I got an idea. And Kip sits down at the, the 
typewriter, and we just see that, like, in his version of the story, Henry slams his face into the pie, and Kip doesn't. Like, I love that there's, like, these weird plays on, like, not plays on reality, but, like, you know, this, these, like, alterations of, like, you could see the effects of their characters within the story. I thought that was great. Yeah, and that was my favorite part, too, the um, unreliable narrator. But side dig here... I, I hate um, TV shows or films about writers who are working on a project, and their project is literally their everyday life. <laughs> like, that's not going to be good, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it's not every moment of his life. It's just, like, these crazy out-of-control ones, like, when they almost get caught. Like, that deserves to be in the book, I feel, <laughs> you know? I guess. I guess. Like, that's part of the whole reason he's writing it. But what was the tr- what was the true story? I don't think they actually really almost got caught, right? Oh, the truth story is that Kip, as Buffy, mentions Ruth by name, and they had never met. So it's the first one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. I mean, we yeah. don't know, but I think. That's, that's how it opens, yeah. Anyway. And I guess Henry thinks that isn't exciting enough, but... I thought it was just fine. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> ripping it. I liked it. Other shows have done it better, but it's still, uh, you know, it was an interesting episode. And anything that's going to explore writing, I'm happy with. My only downside is that we did not see the undead version. They, they sort of tease that at the end, the zombie version or whatever, and that we don't actually get that. But, you know, every show has a budget. We do get a Laverne and Shirley reference, which I thought was pretty funny because same creators. Next episode, the show must go on. After singing along with a stand-up comedian, Bob Saget, Isabel gets a chance to sing professionally at a nightclub, really after Kip and Henry said, oh, we'll be busboys, which feels like all sorts of security and, you know, working environment hazards. But, you know, Brian, you were saying earlier how you wanted to talk about Isabel. Well, here we are. This is the episode all about her. Well, first, Bob Saget. I didn't realize he had guested in the show, and then they would bring him back for Full House, obviously. So, so Miller Boyette had him in the pipeline for a while. They own Saget. <laughs> As a terribly hacky comedian. <laughs> That's just his act, I'm sure, like at the time. I'm sure. Like, well, he was know. called Bob. Do you think his closer was, I just moved up into a U-Haul? You think that's a joke, but like I was living in a Vespa? Like, that was his closer? Have you, have you heard Bob Saget's stand-up? Like, it is, it is rough, man. It is... His stand-up is actually kind of like that. What was his, like, joke? He's like, oh, I just flew in from Vegas, and boy, are my arms tired. And he's, like, waving his arms like he's flying. That's his shtick. Yeah, that's his style. Like, unironically? Kind of. No, but also, though, the whole thing with him being on Full House that was odd was that he was known to be dirty right yeah he yeah yeah no he's such he's like a norm mcdonald style like he's like that and then he'll say really really dirty stuff in a deadpan mm-hmm. way so yeah i don't look at this and say this is an example of bog saget's comedy <laughs> oh Thelma hopkins legend you know getting to showcase her singing obviously she's from dawn tony orlando and dawn i think this is her first sitcom then she goes on to give me a break then she goes on to family matters eventually i was happy she was in this and what a career and obviously she's an amazing singer she's considered one of the at least the top five backup singers of all time i don't know i'm just happy they let her sing she's got a great voice yeah, and I like that it's like another sort of background character-centric episode. Mm-hmm. Isabel got to have like a, a whole episode. That's great. I mean, like it would be nice if they could afford like two or three per, but you know, it's not her show. But it's nice that they were able to at least like get this in and showcase a talent that the actress like had. I just thought it was really good. She's got a great voice. And- I think too, like she's one of the people that as they worked with the entire cast, realized that she could have an episode to herself and that she was 
was very good. So they, I think that, you know, they obviously wrote this one in. And I think I read in the Wikipedia spoiler for season two, she ends up taking over the Susan B. Anthony in season two. Yes. Partly budget reasons that, she, that Lily gets cut and that she, they're like, oh, we'll just have her do double duty. Yeah. And, and through the character, you can see how that's possible. It's not like out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. No, she, she can easily be in charge. Next episode, the hospital. Buffy and Hildy go to work at the same hospital where Sunny works as a nurse. They're there as candy stripers. This is where we meet Blind Jim, and trouble ensues. Hijinks ensue. Mm-hmm. So, did it? It was very strange to me when they found out that he was blind. How they started acting around him. <laughs> like it's not that not that they were like waving their hands in front of his face kind of thing. It wasn't like that. But like they started. Well, Hanks does that. Well, he he does eventually do that when he finds out that he likes that the man also has a thing for Sonny. But they started. It almost felt like I don't know. They started treating him like like he was a leper or something. Like it was really weird. It was like oh you're blind. Like it's oh, I'm so sorry. This and that. And it's like. Yeah, the guy was just like, it's okay, like, I'm blind, I've been blind, like, most of my life, and I don't know, it was just, I was not expecting them to react that way, I just thought they were gonna be like, oh, okay, but they treated it like a severe affliction, which was kind of off-putting to me. Yeah, I mean, 1980, I'm gonna blame for some of that. Yeah, I mean, if they just were like, oh, okay, cool, and ended the episode, that wouldn't be very bosom buddies, would it be? (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I don't know, I guess I never put two and two together that, like, candy stripers were a real thing. Like, that concept confused me. Are you guys familiar with Hmm. candy stripers? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't understand. Yeah. It's like hospital volunteers. I have not ever seen them, but I understand they were a 20th century thing at one point. I don't know. It seems very inefficient and for a hospital to operate that way. Well, it's like they're not a nurse, so they can't perform nurse duties, but, like, if you need a blanket or they could serve food or just like other sort of tasks. Yeah. And I thought of it more as like a pre amenities, pre gift shop kind of thing that they would come through with a cart and you could get gum and magazines. Oh, okay. Like it was like a flight attendant for the hospital. Like I don't think of them as medical. I think of them as um, hospitality. I guess that sort of makes sense. Just, I just want a clarification, I guess. (laughs) I mean, I'm not an expert, but. I don't know. It wasn't my favorite episode. No. What's the next episode? The next episode is Best Friends. This is the one with Adrian Zamed. Henry becomes jealous of Kip's friendship with his childhood friend, now a rock star. I got this episode. Like, I don't have any friends that, you know, have friends that are famous rock stars, but, like, definitely times in my life where, like, a very good friend, you know, you, you're hanging out with one of your best friends, and then they there's another friend that they're friends with that you're not as familiar with, and it could, you know, you get a little jealous, it gets a little awkward or whatever, and I, I could relate I relate to this episode, I guess, on yeah, that level. But. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, definitely in that respect. I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but I really do like the building of the fact that these two guys are like childhood friends from Ohio. And I mean, you know, Hanks and Scalari are childhood friends from Ohio. And they actually do explain here what, you know, he's a summer camp friend for uh, Hanks' character. So a lot of sitcoms would just like brush over that and be like, hey, why doesn't this guy know him, you know? So I'm glad they threw that line in there. <laughs> just, just, just happy about that. Also, I think I feel the way that Henry feels whenever I guest on a Cage Club or Keanu Club or something like that. <laughs> what? You know, like, like I know Mike, but then I didn't know you, Joey, and then you guys just have this like friendship, and I'm just left out. Come on. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> 
got real in here. Oh, this is the episode where we find out that uh, how much their friendship means that Kip chooses Henry over a hot tub date with Sonny. So, I mean, come on. Classic hot tub date. Yeah, that was an interesting thing. <laughs> the hot tub date and a trip to Bermuda. But I, I love this because I honestly, it's kind of rare to see like affection between two men on TV at this at this time. And they were very like, you know, they weren't trying to be like macho about their friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're actually trying to talk about their feelings. Like, uh, I'll bring up friends again. Every time like Joey and Chandler have a friendship moment, they end up like breaking their hug and being like, Having oh. Having to brush it off, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to grab a beer, you know, like, Ugh. And they're making that joke when they do it, but they're still doing it. Yeah, and it's like tender, you know? In this episode, Tom Hanks plays the harmonica, which is cool. Tom Hanks plays an instrument. He does. Hey, Hanks, what's in your hands? What's in your hands, Hanks? Go listen to Boyfriend Material if you want to know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Final episode, season one, episode 19, Cahoots. Kip and Amy agree to help each other get Sonny and Henry. We find out that Amy has a Henry graph and Kip has a sunniometer, which is troubling. Frightening. We find out that Henry is a good juggler, but that date does not go well. And my favorite moment of this episode was Tom Hanks shadow boxing against no one, obviously, but getting his ass kicked by no one, which I, I just loved. So weird. He should have had a sunny dial instead of a sunny monitor, mm. you know, something better play on words there. This isn't a season ending, season finale kind of thing. You know, it's just another episode kind of. Like a big finale would be the reveal that that they're men, right? And then what happens when they come back, like, next season? Right. Like, you need a cliffhanger. I no, feel. and the cliffhanger here is that, like, oh, look, Henry and Sonny are dating. And then, you know, Kip and Amy are like, oh, what's going on? They're like, just kidding, but we still might like you. And, like, that's it. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> One, I I liked that they sort of, you know, taught them a lesson because they were all, again, more violation of trust in kind of every direction. So I, I feel like they're sort of showing them uh, taste their own medicine kind of thing. But then that's also weird because everyone, they all know who likes who. And it just seems like they could be adults and talk to each other and figure out, like, are we going to date or are we not? Yeah, it was unsatisfying. Well, I think Sonny's made it clear at this point that she doesn't really want to date him right now, but it could be a possibility down the road if they continue their friendship. So I don't know what she has to do at this point, like, to make it more clear. It it feels like this comes before that episode, almost, Mm -hmm. like, in the timeline. But, you know, an episode where, like, the four of them all go out to dinner, not a double date per se, but, like, all as friends, and then as the episode progresses, like, they pair off and it ends up, oh, are we, like, they do talk about, like, their relationships and stuff like i don't know i feel like there is a way to get to the end here but like down a different road perhaps like without all the deceit and everything is that a thing though like i don't want to date you right this second but i'm going to continue to think about it and we're going to continue to hang out while i decide whether or not i want to date you that seems like a lot of work sunny seems like a lot of work yeah, I, I don't know. I see it more as like, I'm not saying we can never date. I'm just not into you. I'm not saying that's like a good thing to say to somebody, but... Still like leading him on. <laughs> but also, Iceland, you're forgetting. Sunny is very attractive. I suppose. So. I mean, according to the show, that's it's worth all the problems. I guess. I think Kip's a lot of work too, though, right? Like, True. he's a little neurotic he's and he's jealous yeah he's very sensitive like you know imagine being sunny and going out with kip and then like just you know the guy ripping your ticket stub (laughs) like you know looks at sunny and just says here's your ticket like i feel like kip would be like what's that guy thinking about like what's he you know like sure yeah no and and i'm not i'm not saying that he's any more dateable than the other but just that notion of hi i'm gonna continue to take your time and your energy and maybe 
money in like I think he's gotten her presents and flowers and all that, but I'm just gonna I'm just not gonna definitively say whether or not this is gonna go anywhere. That just seems shitty to me, but I hear that. You're right. She has to be like let him go, right? Yes. She has to be like, Kip, yeah, don't wait around. There's plenty of fish in the sea, you know? Absolutely. Like but all that yeah. Then again I've never been a a sunny she is, you're right, a level of attractiveness that is just not found anywhere else. So maybe sunny that's how Sunny needs to operate. Who knows? Well, what I do like about the Sunny character is that, like, in the episode with Blind Jim, you know, she says, like, I don't want to date you, Kip, because, like, all you see me as, like, and she, like, does that, like, you know, the, the, the hourglass thing. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. she realizes that the reason that Kip is so in love with her is because of her looks, which is why she was attracted to Jim, because he doesn't see her that way. So I like that the show, at times, is smart enough or, like, aware enough to have her be smart enough or aware enough that she knows that she's beautiful and that she wants to find a guy who's not... Like, it does feel like Kip is into her for more than just her looks, but, like, Kip is also mostly into her just for her looks, so... Yeah, and I also get real tired of people saying in love with. Like, he's infatuated with her, but, you know, he was saying he was in love with her before he knew her, and that... He, was in, he, was in, he, was, he said he was in love with her from the pilot. Right, and that that's just... No... <laughs> he didn't know her, you know? All right. We did it. We made it through. But before we're done, Aislinn, we talked about everything. You might have already mentioned these, but I want you to tell us your favorite and least favorite moments from Bosom Buddies Season 1. Okay. Favorite moments include times when they're all working together, Band of Misfits style, um, and we get to see the ensemble, preferably kind of all having a moment to do, you know, to do what they do well. Least favorite is going to be some some of the gender stuff, some of the um, expectations for women and men. And of course, uh, there are times where they subvert that. But I think just, you know, kind of women are the punchline or, you know, something a woman would say or something a woman would do is is a punchline in a way that... I don't enjoy. And then I was I was just very uncomfortable with the times where they were sort of truly trying to trick Sunny or or any of the other women and kind of taking advantage of their trust. That to me kind of in in and of itself is just not funny and it's hard to recover from that or or impossible to recover from that. Yeah, fair, valid, good answers. Thanks. Brian, same question. Favorite, least favorite moments, Bosom Buddies, season one. Um, Definitely some of the same things in terms of just the ensemble and where they get to shine. Some of the later season moments where I can see that the writing team behind this are figuring things out. There were some Latin characters, and I was happy with that, being a Latin man myself. Like, that's not something you saw back then too much. None of the main players, but certainly some uh, guest stars. I mean, I love Amy. Like, I want to be Amy. Worst moment was when I'm watching the syndicated version and they're not using the real Billy Joel theme song. me off watch the youtube video of the billy joel thing it rolls so well with the rest of it this this one's just a placeholder because they didn't want to pay for it
And again, Joey, you sent that video from, I think it was you, Joey, who sent the video from that uh, Adult Swim Yeah, thing? so they did, yeah, Adult Swim did the greatest event in television history where Adam Scott and someone, Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd, uh, reenacted the opening sequence from Bosom Buddies. And they, they spent like 10 minutes talking about how, how difficult it was to do, and then they reenacted, and it's it's wonderful. And I learned from that that Billy Joel actually doesn't sing the version on the TV show that a sound-alike did, which disappointed me a little. Another worst moment, and that I don't care about inflation or whatever, the fact that they only pay $200 of rent a month in Manhattan really pisses me off. Was it 200 I think at one point they said 150 Oh, really? Uh, maybe the old places. I don't know. I thought they said 200 But still, that gets me angry because that would be really awesome. Yeah. Mike, same questions. Favorite, least favorite? Hanks, of course. I mean, easy answer. But I like the cast. I like the chemistry that the cast has. I think that's my favorite part. I don't really have, like, a favorite episode or anything like that, or I don't even really have, like, a favorite moment, per se. Maybe the Best Friends episode, like, I thought that was pretty good because their relationship was finally, like, the spotlight was finally on their relationship for once instead of them trying to get with other people and, like, the rift there. Let's see, least favorite moments? I don't know, I mean, just, I guess, it's being a sitcom. Ultimately, I'm just not a big fan of sitcoms in general anymore. Like, I grew up with them. I feel like I've watched my fill of them. Um, And, like, because Hanks was in this, it's like this weirdo sitcom because he goes on to be such a megastar. So, I guess just the idea that it's a sitcom in general is my least favorite thing about it. I feel like that's a really weird answer, but I'll accept it. I don't know. The end of this episode, I'm just, like, so spent right now. I'm just doing the best I can. Mike, you made a good point, though, kind of in your negatives. I see as a positive Like, you guys could have been so screwed if Tom Hanks happened to star in a sitcom where he was, like, a secondary character. Like, at least he's the lead. And he's the lead so early in his career, too. You know what I mean? Like, we haven't really talked about, like, you know, he, he was a guest on other stuff, but this is the second episode we're covering. You know, he was a, a small, small role in a slasher, made his way around some TV work, but, like, this is the same year that He Knows You're Alone came out. He's a star of a network sitcom his first year of acting. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and just, I mean, imagine having to sit through this two seasons where he's like, you know, a character who gets two lines in each episode. Mm-hmm. You have to watch it because he's in every episode, but that would kind of suck. <laughs> I'm glad that we're not in that reality. I mean, like, I guess, it, you know, <laughs> in, in a different world, you know, Nicolas Cage's Best of Times show gets picked up and, like, we're watching him as a, an ensemble character in a show, you know, that's not led by him. So I, I don't know, you know, or we watch more Going Great or whatever the other Keanu show was. I don't know. What could have been? Mm-hmm. Obviously, my favorite moment was the rewrite because I love the rewrite. My least favorite moment... I think it's, you know, it's it's not exactly what Mike's saying in terms of it being a sitcom, but I feel like it's it's times where it's constrained by the 30-minute or the 24-minute or 22-minute or whatever runtime, where, like, they have to have such an about-face so quickly just to sort of wrap things up. Like, I felt like the episode where Henry's mom realizes that, you know, Henry and Kip are them, and yet by the end, like, goes from being, like, that, that scene that I was talking about, that we were talking about before, where she ambushes Henry with a psychiatrist, and then, like, a minute later, she's like, oh, no, this is my son like piss off like it feels like it's constrained by the medium that it's in to have to resolve itself so quickly it feels like we don't explore that as deeply as we could have or should have so not that it's a sitcom but like just constrained by the the limitations of tv at least broadcast tv in 1980 if that makes sense makes sense to me i think that's where i was getting at joey just like the structure of it and how it's 
stalls and that's just you know that's just the nature of a sitcom all right now island the, the most yeah. difficult question that we're going to ask you all day okay if bosom buddies starred tom cruise the star of our other podcast cruise club alternate fridays with thanks for the memories if instead of tom hanks it was tom cruise how would this show be different I think Cruz would have taken it very seriously. I think he would have played it like sincere and desperate in a different way. So I wonder about the moments that are fun. I don't think he has the lightness that Tom Hanks has. I think they are both charming. I dare you to watch Endless Love and see Billy the Arsonist and tell me he's not light and charming. He's not light and charming. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've talked so much about the ensemble. I just don't know that Peter Scolari would have been able to shine without Tom Hanks to play against. So while it would, you know, it, it's another handsome Tom, I don't think it would have lasted two seasons. I think it would have been a one and done, but that's just me. And we'll get more into the run of the show and like how like even the fact that it lasted two seasons is kind of a miracle, but I think that's kind of a valid point. Brian, what about you? If this was Tom Cruise instead of Tom Hanks, how would it be? How would it play out? This is going to be a hard question for a lot of people because I think once you see Tom Hanks in something, you can't erase it. He has that kind of presence. So... Kind of the same thing. I just don't know if he's light enough for that. I know later in his career, he tries to do some little comedy moments like Tropic Thunder and stuff. I, I can't see him as like a, a struggling, not struggling, but like an ad executive kind of artist guy. How would the show end up? Again, I don't think it lasts two seasons either. I, I want to say, though, I think Peter Scolari is a good actor. I know he his career was a little bit derailed by, um, I'm not sure... I don't want to be wrong about what his problems were, but he was either alcohol or drugs. And that's really like kind of what ruined him. But I just don't think Tom Cruise plays that well with the ensemble here or ensembles in general. He's been in some ensemble films, but not really in an ensemble way, if that makes sense. So I just don't think it works. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. That's fair. Mike? Well, I don't know. I think that it would definitely be interesting. I feel like he's more of like a Henry than a Kip, to be honest with you. I agree with that. Yeah, so to see him as a as a Kip, I mean, the freakouts would be epic. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I, I think, um, look, don't get me wrong. Like he has his sensitive moments, but nowhere nearly as much as Hanks. And you know, I don't buy him as much. Like I take him more to be sort of like a rougher sort of actioner, hide your feelings kind of tough guy, whereas Hanks just kind of just feels more open and so I don't know if it's a great fit you know like if it was like reality he probably would have gotten caught way faster than Tom Hanks I don't know if he would have looked as good in drag yeah I don't I think there's more strikes against Cruz in this premise than there are for Hanks so unfortunately I'm not sure if it's gonna if it's gonna fit I mean Tom Hanks does not look good in drag I mean at least Tom Hanks like looked comfortable I don't know if Tom Cruise would feel comfortable I understand what all you're saying. I, I sort of could agree with you, but I, I think that Tom Cruise could do this. I don't think that he's as far off the mark as you're all thinking. I think he's got the range. He's got the charisma to pull off, you know, a duality, if you will. Something that we are trying to semi-consciously avoid is his public persona from his acting persona, but it feels like there's sort of a duality there in terms of, like, who he is, both as a figure that people know and also as an actor. And I feel like just his ability to sort of compartmentalize, I feel like, could translate into the, the role. I think he could do it. I think he absolutely could do it. I'm not saying he can't do it. I just don't think it would be good. Yeah. You said, how would it be different? That was the, That's the question I answered. Yeah, that, that's a different question. I think he would get Sonny earlier. Wait, they would change the writing for him? Like, they would... Well, 
you know, you guys are coming off very aggressively. There's no wrong way to answer this question. I think that just the type of energy he would bring to the character, they would write it differently, I think. That's fair. I think he's more intense. I think he's more, he'd probably be more focused at work, you know, as the ad agency. I think that they would move up the romantic subplot because of the way he brings, what he brings to the character. That's my take. That's probably not a good thing in sitcoms, though, because then the show would be over sooner. But the show's over soon anyway. But not on purpose. Well... They didn't say, we want two seasons. We finished the true story of Bosom Buddies in two seasons. I don't know. And we never will. We do We do know, because they were upset when it was canceled. Very. Not the actors, the Miller Boyette. Sure. Oh, okay. All right, one more game. Aislinn, this is a game that's going to be maybe a little bit easier for you, just based on the fact that you're a woman. If you had to Stan Lee yourself, make yourself a cameo in this show, where would you put yourself? What would you be doing? Who would you be in the world of Bosom Buddies? Aislinn, you have the whole Susan B. Anthony Hotel. You have the entire world to choose from. How would you put yourself in Bosom Buddies? I would be a rival at work. Nice. I would have a, a co-conspirator, you know, and we would be a team that's vying for a job that they want as well. And, and I would win in the episode. Ooh. Brian, what about you? I would be the mailman for the for the uh, Susan B. Anthony Hotel. So I would come in, give a line every episode, walk out. <laughs> Love it. Maybe later have an arc with Amy, but that's a different story. Of course. Mike? I would be the delivery guy at the office. So, like, maybe the mailroom guy. Like, I'd come up once uh, every other episode or something and drop off some mail and uh, crack a joke. Kip and Henry would be like, hey, Mike, <laughs> what do you got for us today? I thought you'd be in the band, in, in his friend's band. Joey Midnight? Yeah. I thought you'd be the drummer in Joey and the Midnights, whatever their name is. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I want a reoccurring role, so just in case. Get those sweet, sweet residuals. I would be <laughs> uh, a very difficult client to the ad agency, that I would have unreasonably high demands, be very disappointed in our ad duo, and then hopefully, you know, have some kind of, like, you know, deus ex machina that would save me in the end. But just like you know, Mr. Bus or whatever, all those people, I would be one of those just irate because they're not, they don't seem good at their job. Like they seem good at their art, but they don't seem good at their job. And I would just be very frustrated by that. All right. So before we wrap up, we do have an email address here on the show. Hanks at cageclub.me. Send us email. Let us know what you think of Bosom Buddies. Have you watched it? Did you buy the DVD? Are you going to watch season two with us? Let us know. Hanks at cageclub.me. Joey, is that Hanks with an X or a KS? They both work. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I was just curious. I got them both. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash cageclub. You can chip in a couple bucks, control what we watch, sort of say thanks for what we're doing. There's a Patreon for the contenders if you want some sweet, sweet merch. But go to cageclub.me, poke around. You can see our Patreon pages from there. The most important question, and this is a yes or no question, does Tom Hanks do what Tom Hanks is arguably known for, or at least what Mike and I think he might be known for, which is not eating a hot dog, but does he look at you, turn his head to the side, and softly chuckle? <laughs> Does he do that? I feel like based on screen time alone, yes, but I can't remember it happening any specific time. I didn't know that was a thing. I think absolutely he does. Yeah, I totally feel like I spotted it once or twice mm -hmm. in here. I think it's there. Yeah, I do too. All right. No question. I'm going to write down probably. I guess the question though for Brian and Iceland is, is that something that you identify as a Tom Hanks-ism? Like, do you know what we're talking about or no? I do, and I'm, uh, you know, inches away from um, going and watching another Hanks classic myself, so I will look out for that as soon as I'm excused. 
the last thing to do before we plug your shows. The Tom Hanks Awards, maybe the Golden Lassos, maybe the Golden Volleyballs, whatever they're going to be, time to nominate this for the best and the worst of Hanks for the Memories. So what about this show? What about the performances? What about the characters? What about whatever do you guys think is worth commending or complaining about, best or worst? I think it could be nominated for Best Ensemble. I mean, it's he has a, a huge career, so I obviously can't give an award based on this early in the in the timeline, but certainly a nomination for Best Ensemble. Love it. And then I think Worst uh, Gender Essentialism. Don't think that's going to be a category, but I do oh, appreciate shoot. the nomination. We don't know it won't be a category yet, so... True, true. True. I was going to say Ensemble as well. I think this was mentioned before, but possibly Worst Makeup. Tom Hanks' breakout performance. Is it the best Hanks role? No. This is a funny little ha-ha trivia fact when you talk about Tom Hanks. This is not going to be... But he did, he did 37 episodes of this. Like, it's not just like a funny little trivia fact. Like, this is like a core building block yeah, of who he is as an you're actor. You're not doing 37 episodes on it. I'm with Brian on this. This is a trivia... This is a footnote in Hanks's history now. Like, this is just a... Well, he was the star of a TV show for two years! Not a very popular one. But still... And especially nowadays where, like, Big Bang Theory is on, like, the 90th season and, you know, shows run forever and ever and ever. This is like, what? Tom Hanks was on a show? I'm never gonna watch an episode of that. Like, that. it's just a... It feels like trivia to me. No, I see where you're coming from, but I think that, like, Nicolas Cage being on Best of Times, that's a weird trivia. Like, his first thing... No, that's obscure. I don't think this is trivia. I think this is, I mean, it might be trivia, but I think this is also like a, he was an emerging star and in his first year of an actor, he led a network comedy. But nobody was talking about Tom Hanks when he was doing this. They only started talking about this show after Splash came out. All right. When I do my Ted Danson podcast, that's going to last me 20 years, episode by episode of every Ted Danson thing he's ever been on TV. Dancing on the ceiling? Dancing on the ceiling, yeah. (laughs) That's a different story, but he's a big screen guy. He's not a small screen guy, Tom Hanks. All right. Is there any line that he has or any freakout that he has that's worth nominating for best line or best freakout? Should we nominate Sunny, 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 Sunny? Yeah, probably. That would that would be the one, I think. Yeah, they're trying to make that his catchphrase, right? <laughs> like, if anything. I did love when Joey Midnight did it. Like, I was like, oh, that's great. But should we nominate or should we wait for season two? Is Kip and Sunny worst love story? I mean, I feel like it's already headed in that direction, right? Like, there's too many lies to have a trusting relationship after this. If there's, you know, once the truth is revealed. I want a way to see it play out. As opposed to you guys' other shows, I think probably Tom Hanks is going to have a lot of better relationships than some of the other people you've covered. So maybe this will be one of his worst. We'll see. We will come back to that in two weeks for season two. But for now, I have to thank both of you for joining us on this very, very in-depth look at Bosom Buddies. We are the definitive source on the internet for Bosom Buddies analysis, critiques, (laughs) criticism, thoughts. Isa, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the contenders, uh, what you're doing if there's a special potential crossover episode. What what you got going on in the contenders? Sure. So the contenders is a podcast I do with my brother, Tobin Addington, who's been on um, Myriad uh, Cage Club things as well. And we'll be on this at some point. And we watch and discuss movies written and or directed by women or um, with lead female characters. We're looking at um, fearless women in front of and behind the camera. And yeah, we do have a very special episode coming up in honor of um, the great Penny Marshall. We Our next episode is um, going to be A League of Their Own. And... 
Guess who's going to be on it? I have no idea. Joe and Mike are going to join us. So it's a little a preview of a further Hanks discussion, but it'll be the Contenders version. And then in another year or so, I don't know, when will you get to a league of their own? You'll have the uh, Hanks version. Wonderful. And Brian, why don't you tell us all about high school slumber party? Well, I want to tell your audience more about what their new Friday routine is going to be. So... Whatever you do on Friday, when it gets to podcast time, you're going to click whatever link or whatever place you're listening to now. You're going to listen to the Tom Tom Club, if it's Hanks or Cruise, whatever, and it's going to be great. But right after that, your second course, when you sneak under the covers and you start to feel a little sleepy, you're going to listen to High School Slumber Party. Pack your favorite jammies. Exactly. You're going to pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over at Brian's house. Because we're going to get our party on, and it's going to be fun. So on High School Slumber Party, I talk about films that take place in high school. And we also talk with different guests, Joe and Mike, you've both been on. And, uh, you know, we talk about your high school experience. Joey, I have to say, your high school experiences are not as punk as Mike's. I never said they were. <laughs> you never said they were. But, Joey, one day I'm going to get at you. I'm going to find that deep, deep high school memory that you don't want to talk about. I hope so. I can't wait. And when this episode comes out, you'll listen to all of us talk about this great sitcom. And then right after it, you listen to me and my friend John Harden talk about a film called O, which is the adaptation of Othello from 2001, starring Mackay Pfeiffer, Julia Stiles, and Josh Hartnett. Awesome. Well, for all things Hanks for the Memories, and all things High School Slumber Party, and all things The Contenders, and all things Cruise Club, and all things, all 24 shows on our network, now including Tub Talk, where I moderate my friends putting pop culture in its proper order, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram, email us, hanks at cageclub.me, forgive me for losing my voice, I am very sick, but I have made it through two hours and 18 minutes of recording, so who knows what this will be edited down to, but thank you for joining us. Come back in two weeks for Bosom Buddies Season 2, and come back next week for once again with Miss Island Addington for The Outsiders on Cruise Club. Lots of fun Tom Tom stuff going on all around here. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Nancy. And that was Island Addington and Brian Rodriguez. And we'll see you in two weeks for Bosom Buddies Season 2 right here on Hanks for the Memories. Sunny, 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 sunny. <laughs>